time. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording in advance of the Hawks and Sixers playing game seven. We just saw the end of the Nets and the Bucks with some very rotation uh, heavy minutes setups for the Stars. Glenn, are we going to see anything like that tomorrow night for the Hawks? Uh, you know, I, I feel like the Hawks and Sixers should both feel pretty good. That game was almost unsightly. <laughs> I mean, they were those teams looked so tired. And I guess <laughs> tonight's game prepared me for these two teams to look as tired tomorrow. Um, but I, I think that um, in terms of guys that were playing these, especially on that side, they had guys really pushing through injuries and Bud shortened his rotation to about seven players. So, you know, it, it for me, it, it, how much tomorrow's game will resemble tonight's comes down to whether Doc and or Nate will shorten their rotations. If they do, um, as the Twitter consensus thinks they both should do, I think they'll look really tired uh, down the stretch of the game. But both coaches have been hesitant to shorten their rotations uh, much uh, so far. But it's, it's a game seven. Um, we'll see. I don't know why we'd expect anything different from Doc because that was a must-win game. Uh, you know, game six was for, for them. But, um, you know, it, it could be kind of ugly. Both teams could look really tired. They played, you know, with just one day break now, which is, their, I think, at least their third game now tomorrow without an additional day break built into the schedule there. So I, I'm expecting a little bit of a messy game, and I, I guess that would favor the Sixers. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> From the Hawks' perspective, they just got to make sure that Dwight Howard plays. None of this crazy Ben yes. Simmons at center stuff. No, we don't want that. Technical <laughs> scenario or whatever, where one of one of them gets bounced, or where Dwight and Capella goes. Capella's been under control this whole time, so I'm not really worried about it. But can't let Dwight bait one of the Hawks' really critical players into um, kind of getting in there. So. Um, you know, yeah, the more Dwight plays, I think the better shot the Hogs have. But we'll, we'll see what Doc does. And then specifically with Trey, what do you think is sort of the sweet spot in terms of his minutes? Because I you think know, you know, he's far and away clearly the Hawks' most important player. Uh, if there's a team left in the playoffs that just sort of relies on one player, uh, it's the Hawks, especially with Bogdanovich being hurt now. Yeah, for sure. And we don't know Bogdanovich. Uh, Bogdanovich's status right now. It sounds like he's like 50-50, but um, yeah, I have 42, probably. I mean, I I hate to sound like Bud, but <laughs> when I hate to sound like Bud when he's talking about 32 minutes in the first round, but um, I think there are diminishing returns with smaller guards uh, like yeah. Trey when you kind of push them further than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, I thought in game six, the Sixers were more um, um, focused um, and intentional on going at him defensively, uh, not only because he's undersized and has natural challenges with that, but also just to kind of wear him out, similar to what the Hawks did to Seth uh, in game five to kind of, kind of eventually get Seth to stop being the guy that could deliver offensively for the Sixers uh, there. So I, I wouldn't think past 42. Um, that would require them getting good play from Lou, like they got in five, game five, not in game six. But I, you know, especially with bogey status being what you know it looks like, 
they're going to need a good game from Lou to have a shot to win this game in my mind anyway, so why not pencil in Lou for about 20 minutes, get Trey, you know, a couple of reasonable breaks. Um, it'd be nice if Lou and Okongwu could kind of get things rolling for four minutes or so, you know, during Trey's breaks and, and put them in a situation where it doesn't feel like uh, Nate has to break class for, you know, for the emergency of the Hawks kind of losing contact with the Sixers. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic that, you know, they played really well in game five in Philly. Uh, the bench did. And let's hope that they can kind of go do that again. Um, although Bogdanovich doesn't play somebody sliding up from what was the bench to the starting unit tomorrow. And we're not sure what that would look like. Yeah. So what, what did you see in game six? Like what, what, what went wrong? I Honestly, I think 90% of what determined the game was the Sixers being their best, the best version of their defensive self <laughs> in the second half. I thought they basically kind of flipped the script a little bit um, and kind of let Trey get some of his, even though like some of his shots were pretty tough and it was harder. But um, if you go, if you, if you, if anyone did a rewatch of that game, in the first half, the Hawks generated a good number of points at the rim. In the second half, basically none. I think they maybe got two makes right at the rim, not counting some transition or semi-transition layups from Trey that he found kind of sneaking in a couple opportunities there. But the, they they completely took the lob away in the second half and then forced Trey to basically be the only scorer on the floor. Gallo pitched in, obviously. I think we know that. Um, but the Sixers basically locked up both the lob, and then if I ask you this, Kevin, do you recall seeing a single skip pass to the corner by Trey in that entire game? No. Yeah. Do you feel like it's open? I, I no, don't... no, they shut it down. They yeah, basically, I was say. the Sixers basically packed the baseline and and took away the lob. It feels like the opening the... is behind him, like on the weak side. It, it is, and against the Knicks, the Hawks ran a ton of Spain pick and roll, which can open up that shot at the top of the key. But the problem is, is that it's hard to run that against a team that drops because you're not getting the opposing center high enough to set that back screen to kind of create that rub right. action that kind of opens that up. So the big yeah. adjustment for the Hawks, if they do that again, I think I recall the Hawks generated four corner threes in the whole game. None of them were a result of trace get passes to the corner. Um, and so I think the Sixers deserve a ton of credit for taking away lobs and corner threes, especially in the second half made Trey really, really go to work. Trey still almost delivered the game in unbelievable fashion, getting um, nothing nothing from Herter in the fourth quarter, very little from McDonovich in the game, nothing from Lou basically in the game. Uh, and so, you know, the Hawks just need a team effort. And if the Sixers defensively are going to pack the baseline again, they're going to have to find some shots just like you asked above the break. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the just sort of the – base action that they want to run more is just sort of the staggered screen up top instead of like the Spain pick and roll. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> what, how, how do you replace Bogdanovich? Like, cause I, I feel like one of the areas that was sort of lacking in that game was um, the stretch where he was guarding Curry. That's when Curry got hot and, kind of buried the Hawks with like 12 points in two minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to know because, for example, this would be a great spot for a healthy Tony Snell. But Tony Snell missed a few games in the last couple of weeks of the season 
and I have no idea what his actual physical status is. He's looked awful right. in the few minutes he's played in the playoffs, but he would be an ideal guy to at least spot up in the corner or spot up above the break or do that shake move where you know, move from the corner to the break on the weak side when the tagger commits and things like that. Um, but I have no idea. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think you have to roll some solo minutes in this game. And it's not like he's completely incapable of knocking down a three-point shot, you know. Right. And he gives you some value on defense. Now, listeners might think, like, he's been horrible, but he's looked really, really bad offensively in the series. But I think it, in some way you're just looking for some competence. Um, and he maybe gives you some – I don't know where else you turn with Hunter out and Reddish not available. And if Bogey's, I think you've got to get a few minutes from Solo. You run Herder and Trey, 42-ish minutes. You know, Lou, 20 to 30, something like that. That's basically all of your guard minutes. Yep. You know, um, so, you know, you ask Gallo to play the three, I think, a good bit in this game because you have to by necessity, in addition to the fact that it's been a pretty good option Yeah. Uh, in this series. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of what we're going to see. But, you know, Gallo helped did help Trey just enough to almost get them to the finish line in game six. I feel like it's going to be have to be Trey having a similar game, a lot to ask. Gallo and one more. And, you know, one more. And can JC have another 17, 18-point game? Can Lou put together 12 points, you know, on some reasonably efficient shooting, something like that? Um, the Hawks were really good defensively in game six, I felt like. They really put, defended Embiid really well uh, in that game. I know Curry kind of went – uh, kind of crazy, but he hit some tough shots, no doubt about that. He's a tough guard. Um, but if they can repeat the defensive performance they had in game six, get a similar performance of Trey, similar production from Gallo, and one more, I think that puts them in range of having a shot at winning the game. Yeah, sometimes you, you watch a game and you say, good good golly, that was that was a rock fight because, you know, it's low scoring. But I thought that game, you know, especially the second half, you know, Capella and Embiid were both magnificent defensively, kind of controlling yes. the game for their teams. Um, I, you know, they're, they're, they're both just really, really good. Um, yeah, it's hard to know where that – I think, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think probably the single best predictor for whether or not the Hawks have any success tomorrow is what kind of offensive game Gallinari has. They, they just can't get enough points without him. I don't think. Yeah. And then I think Collins is, you know, you know, to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that always kind of goes back to how they defend whatever sort of action Trey runs with a big, you know, no, he kind of disappeared off apart from a highlight play or two on in game six, you know, yeah. Okay. Um, so the so the options are there. I mean, JC could have a good enough game. Lou could have a good enough game. You know, Gallo's been pretty reliable. Um, anything they get from like solo minutes, if you can make a three or two, that helps. Um, you know, and the key will be playing sound enough team defense that Trey doesn't have to overexert himself on that end. And and to that point, that's something that Solo is very good at. He's very Solo's very good team defender. And it's good at kind of seeing disadvantage uh, matchups and kind of getting them out of those. So I, I have an eye out for that. I know everyone hates solo at this point, but there's some kind of, um, you know, secondary tertiary value that kind of comes with him, his IQ and his kind of team mindedness that 
Um, I mean, where would they turn to if Solo wasn't on this team, especially if Snell's not physically capable of doing the thing that he's, he's good at? So Game 7s are fun. Game 7s should be fun. I know everyone on the Hawks side, in terms of observers and fans, feel really uh, disappointed about Game 6. But, you know, Philly's a one seed, Hawks are the five seed, uh, and they're right there. they got a chance to do it. Yeah, I saw a lot of tweets today from Hawks fans that sounded like a season retrospective. And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> it's it's not over yet. I mean, I, quite reasonably, the Sixers are favored and they have a better chance to win tomorrow than the Hawks. But it's still something like 65-35. It's certainly not uh, – it's not David versus Goliath here. Right. Yeah, and um, the Sixers fans were doing the same thing after game five. You know, going into game six, the big, you know, they blew the lead and everything. And I think fans are just have a tendency to kind of prepare themselves for the <laughs> failure that seems to be coming. And like the Sixers is like, oh, we had a chance to secure the, the you know, the series, you know, control the series. We didn't do it. We blew it now. Oh, Hawks had a chance to close out a home and didn't do it. Bogey was terrible, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think fans kind of do a little pre-work so that if there's a letdown, it's not quite so uh, bad. Yeah. I mean, if you could kind of change one thing about the Hawks from what they've been doing to something new uh, for game seven, what would you do? Um, one thing, um, you know, I, it, it'd be interesting to me to start trade off ball a little more and bring him through a dribble handoff into his action. I think that that's going to um, re- reserve his energy some as opposed to him always dribbling into the teeth of a double team or a trap or a strong show or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so, if, especially if you're going to ask for a lot of minutes from Lou, if Bogey doesn't play or just because Lou's a pretty trustworthy guy in a pressured game, um, get Trey off ball. And ball hand, I don't think uh, the average fan knows how exhausting uh, ball handling is, just ball handling is. Right. Uh, in, in, you know, in, in the NBA. And Trey's very good at it. I'm not saying he needs help from a skill standpoint or anything like that. But if you want to push his minutes a little bit, get him off ball to start possessions. Doesn't mean he's not creating, not initiating. Just means he doesn't have to dribble the ball into the teeth of, you know, two really big defenders to start a possession. I think that would make a difference. Um, and then, you know, play The problem with... is you're going, to need Herder for, you're going to need Herder for almost as many minutes. But you're right. Certainly when Lou's That's out true. there, you want, to, you want to see that. Yeah, and, and Herder's been – smart with the ball of the series, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah, so that's been good. But, I mean, he's going to see – I mean, for the young Hawks especially, they're going to see, I think, pressure and intensity they've never seen before. And, you know, all of these fans are like, oh, they're missing easy shots. I don't think they understand how much the Sixers are doing to bump all of their actions a step or a half step off of the rhythm of the play. The Sixers are so good at that, you know, defensively of just kind of taking you out of the normal flow, the normal movement, the normal point of the screen and moving it a hair, moving it from a spacing standpoint, the timing standpoint, just enough that you're catching the ball differently than what you normally do or, or where you'd rather not catch it where you don't have that point of leverage. And especially what the Sixers have done to all the off ball screen based stuff, you know, that's basically kind of evaporated for the Hawks. So, you know, get Trey off ball, move him onto ball with the DHO and let him attack with a little bit more surprise, um, if you will. Um, and then, um, you know, try Gallo on Embiid after Embiid's been on the court for six or seven straight minutes and get Capella off the floor, let a Congo be that help defender or use Capella in those minutes off the ball 
um, as the help rim defender and kind of kind of see how that goes. Roll the dice. I mean, what do the Hawks have to lose here, really? I mean, you know, might as well kind of go with it. So those, those are the two big things for me. Get Trey off all the start possessions. And then when Embiid's five, six minutes into his run, uh, get Gallo on him and, and get a better rim protector, um, you know, available um, you know, off of Embiid. And that's what I'm hoping to see. But that's me uh, just kind of using my own observations and such, not definitely not suggesting that would be for sure to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of trying Gallinari on Embiid. I've, I've wanted to see more of that, but that seems like the ideal way to go about it. And I, uh, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind trusting a Congo on Embiid for a few minutes at the end of Embiid's run, too, and have him sprinting, rim running, sure. and seeing if that can kind of have some impact, too. I think he's – I think early in the series that looked really bad, and it was. Yep. Um, but I think at a point now he's got a feel for what it takes and what, what he would need to do. And I think that his ability as a young big playing what, 12 minutes in this game, maybe something like that, has an ability to sprint the floor and kind of make a beat run. Um, if you can kind of trust him and if the, if the lead is, if the score is safe enough, you know, to do that, those are some things that you can do. I, I think Okonkwo's earned a little bit of trust uh, in that way. Uh, the risk is that if you're close to being in the bonus, then Embiid will just use his youthfulness to get himself right in the bonus if he isn't already. So, you right. know, Score, time, score, situation would definitely impact, you know, whether that's a smart move or not, but I, I'd look for an opportunity to do that maybe. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, it's just, I, I don't think, as, as a Kong who has gotten more acclimated to this series, I, I think Embiid, you know, through no fault of his own, I think the, the burden that he's been asked to carry is is unreasonable, but he doesn't look like the same player that he was in the first two games. I thought Capella got a huge advantage in game six by really not having to respect the jump shot. And so that allowed him to do some single coverage by just kind of giving a cushion. Um, and, you know, in factoring in whether or not you think a, that a Congo can handle something like that, I think that honestly Embiid is, is, is less of a burden on the Hawks than, than he was in, in games one and two. I think he's just kind of worn down over the course of the series. And again, you know that I don't. I don't say that to disrespect him because he's been magnificent. I just think that the the Sixers have uh, <laughs> all, all jumped on his back, so to speak. Yeah, he, now he had a really fast start in Game One at home, so that makes me you know a little concerned for the Hawks that maybe being at home in it lets him kind of go into a game feeling a little better. But sure. yeah, we'll have we'll have to see. But they probably need a little bit of a better plan for Curry. And that probably means Herder on Curry all the time in this game. You know, Nate's been mirroring Capella's minutes with Embiid. Maybe it's in this game seven, you mirror Curry's minutes with Herder. Um, that's probably your best option there. Um, then you probably use Trey on Korkmaz or Maxi, Or, you know, I don't know if we'll see more George Hill in, the, in this um, game or not, I don't know how much you can expect a rookie like Maxi to, to replicate his awesome game in game six, but yeah, I feel like the options are there. Uh, Hawks fans that have kind of punted this game for whatever reason, and again, I think it's mostly just to kind of prepare themselves for <laughs> what might be a letdown. Um, the Hawks match up pretty well with the Sixers. I think when the Sixers really focus on assignment basketball and like do all the little things um, uh, like closing out hard and tagging the roller and rotating. And I, I, they're really hard to do it defensively. 
and we saw that down the, in the second half of game six, I think was the Sixers' best 24 minutes of defense in this whole series. If the Sixers bring that for 48 minutes or something like close to that, in game seven, it's going to be hard for the Hawks to put up, honestly, 90 points. But, man, they, their focus and intensity and commitment to you know doing that comes and goes, and it, it's especially disappeared when they get a lead. Um, so that's, you know, have they learned their lesson after three losses to this Hawks team in this series, two of which, you know, uh, came by what should have been obvious, you know, wins uh, by the Sixers. Um, and so, um, you know, that's the other thing to watch too. If the, I think if the Sixers just decide to come out and play their best defense, the whole game is going to be really hard. The Hawks in their current condition, no Hunter, maybe no Bogey, on and on and on to generate 90 points. But I don't put anything past Trey at this point, too. So, I mean, Trey could put up 50, and I, it just wouldn't – it'd be amazing, but not shocking, you know, if, if he managed to do that. I mean, look, I remember all of the times he drew, drew upon the energy in Madison Square Garden in that Knicks series, you know, on the road, and how many times he kind of made things happen. Now, the Knicks are a completely different animal than sure. the Sixers defense for sure. But there's still something that you see him rising to that moment in that environment, uh, you know, on the road in those kind of, you know, really tough environments. That's one thing that's going to make this game tomorrow so much fun to watch, I, I think. Um, for those of us that cannot get so invested in the outcome that you can't enjoy watching the game, and I hope folks can kind of get themselves into a mental space where the game can be enjoyed. If... Kevin Durant, it was Kevin Durant. If Kevin Herter can't be the one guarding Seth Curry, uh, now that we've gotten to the point where there's no DeAndre Hunter, possibly no Bogdan Bogdanovich, if if something happens to Herter, two fouls early, something like along those lines, who do you want guarding Seth Curry? Because he's been <laughs> he's been unbelievable in the series. Like I I was bullish on Seth Curry. I wasn't this bullish on Seth Curry. Yeah, I mean that—that's a really hard one. Um, lose, lose, not your best answer. No, no, no. So, lose, lose know, not. I, I, Honestly, I, tr- oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So I guess it has to be. Who else besides Solo? Solo you know, that's such a big um, ass. Though that's not his. It's huge. Forte it's huge on defense. Either. Yeah. So well, Solo's real weakness on defense is letting dynamic or even quasi-dynamic arginal pass to him. And that's not Curry's game. That's not to say you can't put the ball on the floor and go get a shot at the rim. But, you know, Solo will at least, if he sees a screen coming, he'll blow up the screener. <laughs> you know, he'll he'll right. make himself known um, in all of the types of actions, whether they love to lift Curry through the nail up to the top of the key. They love to run Curry uh, kind of across the, the, the Iverson yeah. cut, two screeners at the free throw line. And, you know, it, it – Again, Soto's value, like so many of the things in this game, is so conditional to you can't really risk those fouls if Philly's in the bonus, um, unless it's been some maybe a screen. You know, but, but Soto will factor all those variables. In. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Solo is a great option. I think he's I mean, maybe the options the are limited option. at this point. Yeah, like if Herder gets in foul trouble, I think it has to be Solo, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to hide – a Lou on Simmons and hope that someone can help team rebound or something like that. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's tough. Um, Philly really has, has a fully functional team, nobody, you know, really missing. And, you know, apart from Embiid being limited, you know, at times, he, he, at times it looks like that he hasn't, hasn't bothered him at all. He's been dominant, mm-hmm. 
but the Hawks are quite undermanned at this point in time. And so you might see some oddball things like that, like solo chasing Seth Curry around screens. Yeah. Uh, so officially Bogdan Bogdanovich is listed as questionable. Cam Reddish is people wondering about that. Cam Reddish is officially listed as out. He's not going to play. That's not, he's going to be in street clothes. Um, Good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would, you know, that's not the, the situation to bring him back. Yeah. Trey um, Young needs help on offense guys. It, you need guys who can generate some to a value. And, and even if that's the lotto card that Solomon Hill is a three point shooter or whatever, you know, you need guys that give some to a value. Uh, you can't put a Chris Dunn or in this condition, Cam Reddish on the court and expect that the Sixers are going to do anything differently than what the Hawks do to Penn Simmons, which is going to create nothing but more defenders and trace face the whole game. Yeah, I mean. Solo will shoot the ball. Solo will shoot. (laughs) If Solo is left left open and the ball finds him, he will shoot it, and that matters. Yeah, and yeah. Um, So – if, if you know if you're looking at this from the Philadelphia side of things and, and you're in charge of running what the Sixers do, what would you do differently? Sit Dwight Howard the whole game. <laughs> play yeah. play Ben back up five. Let him run the Bam like center point center initiation that he's so good at. Play Tobias in those minutes too. Um, rely on George Hill a little more just because he's so trustworthy. Um, he's a really disruptive defender, even if he can't keep the ball in front of him like he used to. Um, but it starts with, I mean, it's like 95% of the changes Doc needs to make is don't play Dwight. <laughs> That's just how I look at it. How about you? You see that anything else there? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I thought they got a lot of mileage. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the Spain actions and it not working against the drop center. I thought they got a lot of mileage out of, out of using Seth Curry and some actions that were like Spain pick and rolls. And he was, he was doing a lot of work uh, as a screener in the paint in the middle of the series to the point where he was (laughs) to the point where it was like, he's, he's setting multiple screens in the paint on the same trip in the paint. And he's like committing like six and seven second violations. Um, But it's really effective. You know, it got him some of the looks at the top of the key. Uh, I thought it was sort of confusing to the Hawks. You know, when Simmons is out there and there isn't sort of good crisscross movement, I think that just makes things a little easier and a little more predictable. So I I, I might use Seth Curry as a screener more if I could. Uh, yeah, is he on the entry report, by the way? Seth Curry? Yeah. Uh, actually, I didn't look today. We we, we, you carry on, and I will try to investigate. Well, the, the, they've been looking at his shoulder for at least the last two games. And no, so that makes me wonder we've got if they've Embiid, gone away. Embiid questionable, Danny Green out. That's it. That's the whole list. Yeah, that's bogus. Seth definitely has a shoulder thing going on unless, you know, there's well, been some miracle performed since game six. Right. Well, at the same time, though, like, I, I mean, when you get to the playoffs, if, if a player has an injury and it's bothering them, but they're, they're 100% going to play, I mean, I don't think there's any obligation to list them. Yeah, this is – like, like he's going to play and it's going to suck and it's going to hurt, but he's still going to play, then, you know, I think any player that's 100% to play or at least try to play initially 
Um, you know, I don't think the teams are under any obligation to report yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. But I so two things. One, I think that could factor in what whether they want him setting screens. You know, because they oh, need his shooting for right, sure. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, second, second yeah, thing we could, second thing we could do it later on. The NBA is gonna have to fix this because true, the status, the injury report is about whether someone is expected to play or not, not about their whether they're degraded and <laughs> yeah. their ability to play or not. Which yeah. matters to betters, which the NBA is supposed to be trying to line the league up to kind of be a good partner um, with um, the certain partners uh, in that industry. So we we'll probably right. see some changes after this season, but certainly not before the game tomorrow. <laughs> no, not before the game tomorrow. Yes. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, speaking of injuries, just kind of spitballing. Uh, but, you know, assuming that Bogdan Bogdanovich plays, but is in obviously less than ideal uh, condition for playing, I th- you know, I think one thing that they could try to do is try to align his minutes with when they want to play hack Ben Simmons, because then you can have him just play offense. You can use his six fouls. Uh, you know, you've got the threat of him shooting. I mean, if, if he's in any way capable of playing, I think that's one situation that would be optimally, optimally suited for him. I think that's a great idea. I, I don't think anything precludes it from even Gallo into the starting lineup, if that's what they want to do and bring Bodanovich off the bench when Simmons is on the floor, they're in the in or right at the bonus and yeah. using him in that way. And just using him as a spot up shooter and a intentional fowler, if you call it that. I think yeah. it's great. Yeah. I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Is there anything else you wanted to cover tonight before we we leave? I lost you there for a second, Kevin. Oh, sorry. Is there anything else you want to cover before we leave? I don't think so. I'm ready to watch the game tomorrow. <laughs> the Hawks have made it to the final five. Final five is good. That's a good year. Let's hope they get to the final four. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me, Glenn, and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Likewise. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night.